What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Is this better? Okay, nice. All right, you may have turned me down a little bit because I might make it a little loud. All right, John chapter 12. Sorry about all the, the mic problems, but um, John 12, we're going to be starting now the week, uh, the week of the crucifixion of Jesus. And so this is Passover is quickly approaching. And uh, we're now going to spend literally the re- second half of John, the remainder of the book of John through chapter 21. Um, primarily, predominantly, just in this last week. And so uh, there's going to be a, a lot of time, uh, even as it relates to the very last evening and uh, and up to the crucifixion itself. And so a 24-hour period is going to be a large portion of where we're going to spend our time. But as we look today, I want us to be able to examine and, and navigate through uh, the narrative where Jesus is now going to be back and having a dinner. And uh, in this, there's going to be some hearts that are going to be exposed. And, and for this, I think there's some things that we, that you and I can learn from this particular passage about our hearts. Uh, you're going to see lavish display of worship. But at the same time, you're going to see self-centeredness and uh, a self-serving type of desire. And, and the reality is, is that uh, we can look at that and be like, characteristically, is this us? Are we, are we similar to Judas as we'll, we'll read and, and have described before us? And probably predominantly no, but here's the reality is that we're not, uh, we, we, we're not on like either, either ends of the spectrum. At various times in our lives, we can be at any portion of that spectrum. And so there can be times where individuals can say, man, I thought this, this particular, even in my own heart and life where I'm sitting in services and I'm worshiping, I'm listening to the word of God being preached. If my heart's not been prepared, I'm not desiring to come and bring and provide worship to God to learn his word. I can walk out of a, a venue. I can walk out of an e- uh, evening and go, man, that just didn't connect with me today. And the reality is, was it, but then somebody that sits right, literally right next to you can be like, man, that was so amazing. That's right where I needed to be. And so the, how does that happen? And I think what, how that happens is motivations of our heart. What's, what are we really out to accomplish? What are we out for that particular day? Uh, what are we desirous to see? What do we desire to know? Are we, desire, are we at a particular time to love God, to know God, to worship God? And so motivations to follow Jesus. And today I want us to look at four different types of motivators that's going to be just coming out of this particular passage. And just like the song we just sang that, uh, you know, high king of heaven that desires it be able to follow Jesus, and he be first in my heart, right? And it, I treasure thou art, that we just saying. And so how do we keep Jesus first in our hearts? And how do we begin to examine ourselves if he is not? And so 
passage that we just studied in our scripture readings and the means to help that, we begin to examine and begin to identify where our money is going. How do we begin to, in a tangible way, um, if I, you can give me your, uh, whatever it is, your calendar that you keep your, your uh, schedule of events and your finances. Uh, I, others, even people who aren't Christians, could be able to say, hey, I can give you a breakdown of where you're spending your time and where you're spending your money and, and see and determine whether or not that's an indicator where your heart is, right? And so that can be a reality uh, for individuals who like sports or be able to do uh, like a variety of things, and there's nothing wrong with uh, desiring sports. But I, I can say this, though, if you're so big on your, your football team that you buy season tickets for home games, away games, and those away games or those home games are going to remove you for almost a, a, an entire quarter of the year, and you're not going to be faithful to your local gathering and all the resources that went to be able to provide season tickets, the resources for tailgating, the resources that you're going to be buying at the game, uh, the gas money and the travel and potentially the lodging, and then you're going to miss time. If somebody just says, hey, where's your focus during football season? I'm going to say you're worshiping football. And you can disagree with that, and that's okay uh, to disagree with that. But the reality is I would really provide serious caution because the reality is that's where your time is, where your talents are being, and that's where your treasure is. And so it's be mindful, be careful, be thoughtful. It would be helpful for us to be able to examine ourselves and see what is motivating us even if our desires look like or appear to be following Jesus. You're going to see four categories here that I hope will be helpful, that each of them is going to be following Jesus in a different way. But there's going to be seriously different motivators for why they follow Jesus, right? So let's just dive into the text. So John chapter 12, 1 through 11. It says, six days before the Passover, so we're just a few days out before Jesus will be the sacrificial lamb. It says, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that, when she, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Father, I ask that you would help me this morning, help us this morning, that we would worship you in light of your word, worship you under your word. And we don't sit in judge or judgment above you and above your word, but we're underneath it and you would speak to us, you would lead us, you would guide us. I pray you'd help all of us, myself included, knowing that our hearts, uh, Lord, are, uh, gravitate many times away from you, gravitate to the things of this world, and that, Lord, you would help us to, be, um, to examine ourselves carefully uh, and, Lord, to see what many, many times may motivate us, uh, even toward Christ in ways that might be self-centered, and self-serving, Lord, and not desires to just simply uh, for sheer worship of you. And so I pray that you would help us uh, this morning to be able to see these categories. And, 
Lord, I know there can be times where we in our past have seen uh, this in, in all of us and at various points. And I pray, that, Lord, that you would help us. And not only for us to learn and, and to examine our hearts, but, Lord, for us to take this passage and help others uh, to uh, examine themselves and see where they're at. Because your word is replete with examples of false converts. And so, Lord, I pray you would help us to be faithful men and women. It would take uh, this knowledge, your information, your gospel, uh, and be able to share that truth with others as well. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. What we have here is a uh, a dinner that was provided for Jesus just a few days out from Passover. People were going to be making their way. Bethany is two miles east of of uh, this slope, uh, east of Jerusalem, where the Passover feast was going to take place. Uh, the Passover was going to take place. The place, the unleavened bread feast, was going to be taking place. And so, as a result of this, people were coming. Uh, making their way there. Bethany would be on the road uh, for Jericho. We're going to be a means of stopping there. And so it could be a large portion of people being just two miles from Jerusalem. People could be coming out from Jerusalem that, uh, that have heard, that live in Jerusalem, that might be moving, making their way outward to Bethany because it's not too far for them to traverse because they've heard the stories of Lazarus. And we find ourselves here um, with a, a family giving dinner to Jesus in, in honor of him. It says, therefore, Jesus came um, and so they gave a dinner for him in verse 2. And so you see there's a dinner to potentially honor Jesus. And we don't know the circumstances behind this, but ultimately uh, it would, the desire to want to kill Jesus. Uh, and after the resurrection of Lazarus, he may have made his way to Ephraim away from that area pretty quickly. And so uh, the family that uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus uh, just felt humbled and, and, and desirous to want to love on Jesus and minister to Jesus and honor him for what he had done for them that he didn't have to do. He didn't have to raise Lazarus from the dead, but desired to maybe honor him in that particular time. And so maybe they haven't had a chance to really um, bless him and encourage him. And even if they had, they just simply love him and want to be able to minister to him. And it says that they're, this is where they were ministering to him. They gave him a dinner there. Now, the reality is you would think it was at... Uh, the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But if you begin to read other accounts, the accounts in Matthew, the account in Mark, you see it was at the house of Simon the leper. And so uh, where this particular story had taken place. And so, or this particular dinner had taken place. And I only bring that up is that to be able to share, um, here's a potential another person having been a leper. He's called Simon the leper. He wouldn't be living uh, here and he would be outside of town. He would be in a place where others wouldn't be allowed to be around him. He would be ceremonially ceremonially unclean. The people wouldn't have had spent time with him. And so um, the reality is Simon the leper was a former leper, and yet he was still uh, named for that because of the miracle that had been performed uh, potentially by Jesus at his, for his benefit. And so just the same way you see twice in this particular passage, John 12, where Jesus uh, had laid, uh, raised Lazarus from the dead and said where Lazarus was, all right? So six days before the pastor, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus raised from the dead. And twice in the passage, again in verse 9, it speaks about Lazarus being there whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So in the same way, uh, this begins to be a connotation to be able to talk about who this person is. Well, the same way with Simon the leper, that this was a means by which uh, God had radically changed him. Jesus had radically changed him and healed him. And the glory of God was demonstrated uh, in the life of Simon, who was a former leper, just as it was with the man born blind and so on and so forth. The story goes with this ailment or the difficulty that Jesus overcame. And so I say all that say that this was, um, you begin to sit, see uh, the desire behind that. You have 
Simon the leper who wants to host Jesus, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus who are there that want to honor Jesus. There's individuals whose lives have been tremendously impacted by Christ, and they want to honor him. They want to give him a dinner. I say all that just to set it up so you can see a, a, a distinction, even a disparity between the different types of motivators that are even in the same room at the same time. And so when you begin to see this, I want you to be able to see what's taking place. So you get more information. I'm going to spend a ton of time where our study here is out of John. But Matthew 26, Mark chapter 14 is going to have other indicators of this. I will say this too, just to help you in case you begin to look at discrepancies. There's a very similar story, but this is at a Pharisee's house in Luke chapter 7, where a woman's going to anoint the feet of Jesus. Uh, and she was a a prostitute and that was in town. And I don't want you to get these, this, that particular passage, which is distinct and different and separate from what's taking place here with Mary uh, and the, the, uh, the anointing Jesus here just a few days out from um, the crucifixion. And so there is a different story in Luke chapter 7 that is similar, but it is not the same event. It was not at Simon the leper's house. It was not this, it's not Mary who was, this was taking place. Just so you don't get confused if you're looking at uh, the synoptic gospels and these other uh, indicator or these other stories that you would get confused in that. That would be a completely different um, event, similar uh, in, in its story, similar in its narrative, but not exactly the same event. So with this, I want you to see this beautiful display, this, this desire to honor Jesus, to provide him a dinner just a few days from where he is going to go to the cross and die for sin and sinners. And so with that being said, let's just now dive into our text uh, and to be able to walk through our outline this morning. Uh, four motivations to follow Jesus. Four motivations or motivators, right? If we begin to look at our hearts, what, would, what were ways that we would be motivated to follow Jesus, to interact, be a disciple of Jesus, to want to be in Jesus' presence? The first would be worship. First would be worship. And this is exactly where we find ourselves in the context of this particular passage. In just a few days, they are all together providing dinner for him. And it says, so they, being Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Simon the leper, not being referenced here, uh, but it is in the other passages, it's providing a dinner for Jesus there in Bethany, in the area where Lazarus, Mary, and Martha live, where Simon the leper lived. And it says, Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. One of the things I want you to be able to see is that if you begin to look at worship, one of the ways you can worship God is through your service. I know many times Mary gets, or Martha gets a, a kind of a, a bad rap, right? That ultimately, and you go back to Luke chapter 10, where um, Mary was at the feet of Jesus and was, it was learning from him, was listening to the very word that he was taught, being the word incarnate and, and teaching the inspired word. It came directly from God, the mouth of God on the planet, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Mary was at his feet. Remember the story? And so then Martha comes up to Jesus and says that Jesus basically needs to put Mary in her place, that I'm serving and I'm distracted by all this serving, and you need to tell Mary to come help me. And then Jesus says that she's chosen the better portion, right? She's chosen what's actually right, and he's not going to take that from her. And so in that, many times she gets typecast as just a busybody and, and uh, is not desirous uh, maybe to, to be in the Word or those type of things. And the simplest thing that was taught in that particular passage is just the priority of the Word over serving or even the priority of the Word in serving. And that is that ultimately, as we, you look at the Word of God, you can do a lot of service. We were talking about this morning in our small group, as Pastor Tim was leading us, uh, that you can, you can do a lot of good deeds, to God, a lot of good service, but it's not tied to the Word, in, in essence. And it's not tied to gospel, uh, uh, gospel sharing and gospel extending and expansion, uh, th- or the kingdom's extending and expansion through the gospel teaching. 
And so ultimately you can serve uh, and, not, and not worship God. But then there is a completely appropriate place, as we'll see in this particular passage, that desires to honor God, to honor the Word, and that you can serve in a manner that will be pleasing to God. And so this is where you see Martha here, that Martha served, uh, served a dinner for him there because why? They wanted to honor the Lord Jesus. The reality is that we, there are needs within the body. There are desires that are in the body. There are um, um, uh, things that need to be accomplished, and there is room for service. It was neat just to see tonight a, a variety of new individuals leading worship with us, leading us in song, and there's opportunities to serve. Right, and there's real, genuine places to serve. Now, at the same time as we're going to study through this, and my, my heart and those who led us this morning, you who are, are serving a variety of areas in our church, that we have to we, got, we have to be cautious of what the motivators for our, our service is, and is it genuinely to worship God? But clearly, there's a role for serving the Lord that is by is motivated by sheer worship. Right, there can be service areas where you can serve the Lord, I can serve the Lord, and a variety of gift mixes that he's placed within church, the way he's, by the grace of God, given us abilities and talents and treasures that we can serve the Lord together and be able to do that in a manner that is genuine worship, right? And so this is where I want us to be able to see. You see Martha serving the Lord Jesus' table with a desire to honor him by providing a dinner for him there. So one of the motivators is worship. You see it in service. And you also see worship not only in service, but in sacrifice. Verse 3 so you saw Mary in serving. Verse 3, you see, therefore, or Martha in serving. Now in verse 3, you see Mary. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And you're going to see just a lavish display of sacrifice that was provided here. Um, nard was um, uh, an ointment that was going to be used as, as a plant that grew in India. So you got a good distance that needed to be had to be um, brought, had to, had to be traversed. The ointment that would be coming from this particular plant it would need to be processed, and so and then it was in. You'll see in an alabaster flask, which was uh, you'll see in the previous uh, the other passages, the other accounts, Matthew twenty six, Mark fourteen, and so it was it says it had been that flask had been broken, and so the whole ointment of that had been used. Uh, this is a pound, and so it's not like a pound like we have as far as 16 ounces. And it's probably 11 and a half to 12 ounces, but that's still a lot of ointment, a lot of perfume that would be uh, displayed and would be, uh, would be used all at once. So much so, this is the whole house uh, was filled with this fragrance of this perfume. You think, well, okay, it's just some perfume, but the reality is the, the, the cost behind it. And you see that in verses 4 through 6 where Judas gets a little upset, and he says, why was this, verse 5, Ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. And so you begin to think a denarii is a, a, a common day laborer, a day laborer's um, wages for one day. And so basically when you think about uh, Sabbath days and uh, a variety of other things, you're looking at pretty much an entire year's worth of salary. So you think about that, just trying to help us to think, what would that, what could that be in modern day times? Now, we know from biblical texts, they would work 12-hour days, and so, and probably would work six days a week. And so, but if you just take just a minimum wage here, so seven twenty-five in the state of Georgia for a full week, let's just not even do six days, just do five days, forty-hour work week. You're looking at about fifteen grand, just minimum wage, day, normal day laborers' wages, forty-hour uh, work week for a modern time for us to be able to look at it. You're looking at about fifteen grand. Uh, if they were to work the full. Uh, 60-hour work week and, and add the other 
uh, add the 60 hours rather than 40 hours, you're looking at 26 grand. So basically, a one-time gift, lavish gift of ointment for 15 to somewhere, 15 to $26,000 in modern equivalency that was going to be used simply to anoint Jesus, to wash, to pour it on his head, it says in the other gospel accounts, to wipe his feet, and then to loosen her hair, uh, which would be shameful to do, and to wipe his his, his feet with her hair. She could have used a cloth. Why, why her hair? I think in, you begin to look at times that the Bible would begin to describe as far as modesty. The Bible would describe as far as um, how they would their heads being covered and a variety of things. It's just a sheer demonstration that um, one of the most prized possessions, one of the things that's most removed from the dirt of this world where they didn't have shoes and they work, walked on um, sandals and uh, dirty streets as far as that weren't paved and had clean sidewalks. But ultimately, this is the most cleanest portion probably of her body, uh, the most preserved section of there that was kept away from the things of this world. It was covered um, many times. And as a result of that, she loosens her hair and honors the Lord with this lavish display of worship, right? And this is the picture for us. The question for us is that do we selflessly give in that type of way to the things of God? Right? Do we, do we see the worth of Jesus in such a, a fashion that we look for ways that we can sacrifice to him in that way? Whether through, uh, and we look for ways to worship him, whether in service or in sacrifice. We can use the very talents that God has given us as far as, uh, to, as areas of service. We look for treasures that God has given us as far as sacrifice uh, and to be able to use our time for the Lord. And both of these, that they wanted to intentionally host Jesus and honor Jesus with this dinner. Be able to use some, the most common things to, to make it a, a lavish display of worship. And I think many, many times for us, we completely overlook the common ways that we can we can honor the, honor the Lord. The Bible would tell us, and I think it's important that we see this. The Bible would tell us that we can give glory to God in the most mundane things, whether we eat or we drink, give glory to God. And I think we just don't view it that way. I think the common gathering of, the, the, of our worship services here at church, most people aren't coming in to desire to lavishly honor the Lord uh, through the sacrifice of your time, the service, of your, uh, service that you provide and the time you provide there, that we really want to get to know Christ more, to honor Christ, to enjoy Christ more in our times of worship. We, yes, we call it worship, but does it look like what we see here? With Martha's desire to serve, with, with Mary's desire to sacrifice, and even preparing ourselves for those means, I'm, I, they don't just show up and, and Jesus comes in like, as far as providing a meal for someone. It requires uh, planning, right? It's not like today where you can just go to Publix or Target or, or Walmart or, or Ingalls or wherever you might want to shop. And, or Kroger, and you just show up there and you just buy a bunch of things and bring it back. No, this would be able to grind the wheat and be able to cook the bread and, and be able to provide to kill the lamb or to kill the, uh, uh, whatever the, the animal was that you were going to eat. And then the process of preparing that animal was not a quick process. And the desire to prepare our hearts or to prepare her hearts, to prepare a desire to honor the Lord. I think in the same way as far as us, and a whole host of means, but if you even look at the times that we gather together, that how many of us were preparing ourselves, were preparing our family, preparing our homes for the gathering this morning. That we're going to study the word of God together. Let's read the passage. Let's answer some questions. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's, let's navigate. Let's make sure we get to bed on time. Or are we so cluttered with the things of this world that we're barely making it here and we arrive here exhausted and tired and distracted and then wonder why we're not getting more out of our worship services? I know, and you say, well, how do you know that? I can be guilty of that as well. 
We come ill-prepared to be able to give large sacrifices to the Lord of our time, our talents, and our treasures. And so, as we were studying before in Matthew 6, that what you invest your time in, what you invest your talents in, as far as how you would, your gifts and your abilities, what you invest your treasures in, your heart's going to gravitate toward that. And if you invested in worldly ways, it's going to be demonstrated in that same way. Or if you invested in eternal ways, you're going to see your heart beginning to gravitate toward that as well. And so you see this lavish display, 15 grand worth of, of ointment spilled out on Jesus. And so the reality in this is, is that um, it was a means of honoring the Lord. Now, do we know that in this passage and other passages that uh, Mary knew that Jesus was going to go to, to, the, to the cross and was going to die? I mean, he had clearly told people that this was going to be the case. He had warned the disciples this was going to be the case. But did she know? We don't know. Very much that it could have been like Caiaphas's prophecy, as we studied last week, that yes, he said one thing, he did one thing, and God had a different meaning for it. Sure, that can happen. And this could have been the case here. But we do know that Jesus, when, they were, when Mary was criticized, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment, but when Mary was criticized, verse 7 and verse 8 begins to help us to see that regardless if she knew it or not, Jesus intended for that to be. The means of her sacrifice was preparing him for his burial. So what do you see in verse 7? Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Right? You're going to have opportunities to do good works for people. There's provisions that the Bible had made for the poor. So there's nothing wrong with saying do good works for the poor. Minister to the poor. There's Bible had given commands of ministering to the poor. But the intent Jesus was communicating here is that ultimately, even when you desire to do things for the poor, there needs to be a motivation of doing those things for the glory of God, right? Uh, and obedience and, and loving obedience to God the Father. And, and so Jesus is communicating here. You're not always going to have God incarnate with you. And it's always a good thing that we would worship God. And so here in this particular point, you're saying, hey, it's, you're going to have, Judas, you're going to have the rest of your life to minister to the poor. But I'm, I'm going to the cross. I'm not going to be here with you. And so there's coming a time where darkness will be here and light will no longer be with you. And so as a result of that, and minister to me while I'm still here. And so the reality for us is that, as you will see in just a moment, we can be easily critical of other people. And yet it's exactly those moments where they're genuinely worshiping, worshiping the Lord. And so here you've seen in the life of Mary two opportunities where uh, she's been criticized by others, and yet Jesus corrects both. Remember, the first one was when Martha tries to correct Mary, right, in Luke chapter 10, and we talked about the priority of the word, priority of Jesus over serving, right? And so as a result of that, you see Jesus says, hey, I'm not going to take that away from her. And so you begin to see there should be a priority for the Lord Jesus, or also Jesus, the Bible calls Jesus the word, right? So priority for the word, a priority for Jesus in serving. And then here in this particular passage, you're going to see the priority of the word in sacrificial giving. Priority of the word in sacrificial giving. Pete, uh, Judas is going to say, hey, in sacrificially giving, you should be giving that to the poor. That's his criticism, right? Now, we know that was a, a smokescreen, right? That wasn't really what was taking place here. But the reality is, is that are we doing it first and foremost, our service and our sacrifice for the Lord Jesus, even if it is directed to the poor, even if it's directed to the church, even if it's directed in a variety of means, is it with the priority of the word? And so what's our takeaway from that? Genuine worship should have a priority, whether in service or in sacrifice, being undergirded by the very word of Jesus, the very word of God. Let me say it again. So our... Worship and our service 
priority of the we have a priority of word in our serving and in our sacrificial giving should take precedence over those those events. And I'm telling you, we can be a people. We can have a generation of people uh, at our particular time, especially our culture, that's quick to serve and just find me a place where I can get plugged in and be quick to give without any thought to what the Word of God would command and or command us to do. Command or command us to do. And we can actually do it to the detriment of our own soul and of the body of Christ. I can give you an example. Try to be careful here, but I want to give a real-life example that I don't think is no longer in that type of aspect that we have here today. But I, there was, can be a time where there was a, a woman in our church that was um, serving in our, I won't tell you what area, but was serving in a particular area. And she had gotten offended in, in a certain portion of some of the things that had happened uh, with our church. And so as a result, she, she spent most of her time, predominantly much of her time, in the back serving the nursery. And so to look, you would think, man, she's such a servant. Man, she loves our babies. She loves our, our bodies. She loves the church. She must love the Lord. When really the motivator of her heart wasn't worship, wasn't genuine, I want to sacrifice so other people can come hear the preaching of the Word of God. I'm going to serve because I want to minister to these young children. I want to teach them the things of God. Her heart was wrong. There was offense in her heart. There was a discrepancy in her heart. And so I warn us by that. It's because even though she was serving and even though she was sacrificing of her time, the reality was she wasn't doing it in light of the priority of the Word of God. The Word of God was not informing and instructing her about her service. And quite the opposite. Her heart had, had shifted and had moved to a place where this was a means of her actually not worshiping God, but was bringing a distraction to her own soul and to the harmony of the body. I'm just telling you, it's real-life situations that ultimately we can do right things, or at least for the appearance of it, and yet our heart may not be genuinely worshiping. Is that making sense? And so I want us to see, uh, this, is, this, this hits home. This, that happened here. It can happen with us. It can happen in me. It can happen to you or in you as well. And so we have to be looking at not just simply what we do, but the motivators behind that. And so for us, the priority of the word should be, to, should be what leads us in our serving and the priority word should be what leads us in our sacrificing. And at times, others may criticize you, even though the word of God would commend you, just like we see in the life of Mary. Right? Priority of the word over serving. And Martha says, she needs to be serving. And Jesus says, I'm not going to take that away from her. Priority of the word in sacrificing. And Judas says, hey, she should have sold that and given that to the poor. And Jesus says, leave her alone. I want her to keep it for the day of my burial. And so men and women, we have to be informed by the Bible as far as what worship looks like and examine our hearts, even when our deeds look right, as the motivators of our heart genuinely to worship the Lord. And so that's what you see. The first motivator was of worship. The second motivator to follow in Jesus and the remainder of the motivators aren't quite as positive. <laughs> so I'm going to give you a heads up just straight out of the text, though. First motivator would be worship. So in the life of uh, Simon the leper of uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they desire to host a dinner for Jesus. And most clearly seen in the life of the women here, Mary and Martha, as its desire to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Second motivator to follow Jesus in a, in a different way would be wealth. Would be wealth. But verse 4, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, so he's following Jesus, right? Named as a disciple, 
called as a disciple. You see the parathetical statement, he who is about to betray him. So you already see in the picture here what type of man Judas is, if you weren't already aware of that. And he gives you a a heads up, John the Apostle does, as he writes this, or the reader is reading it. He's beginning to see that this Judas is the one who's going to betray Jesus. And he said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii given to the poor? Why was it not sold? And I already told you the, the wealth that would be there and desire to give it to the poor. But then you begin to see the motivator. And John gives us the background for the motivation. It says, he being Judas said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, used to help himself to what was put into it. Right? And so he desired to selfishly benefit from the things of God. We want wealth. And I'm telling you, as far as a generation of preachers, uh, a generation of, of uh, parishioners, as far as the congregants within churches, this is, couldn't be more acute to where we're at as a nation in cultural Christianity as the prosperity gospel it continues to increase and it's, comp- it's on the rise as, as it relates to a desire to be healthy and wealthy and wise. And people are flocking to services and people are flocking to self or uh, to churches by potentially maybe churches by name only potentially because their desire to be healthy, wealthy and wise. It's a lucrative business. It really is. I mean, and I say it was as much crassness as I possibly uh, I could be more crass, but as much uh, directness as I as I can, uh, can is that there's there's men who are out for finances and out for wealth and are are communicating truths and scripture that are twisted because of the wealth that's being provided for that. And so this is the truth. This is the reality that's in our world. And for us not to acknowledge it and know it's out there and not and not understand that there's individuals that you will interact with, that I will interact with, that are that, that are on some spectrum of that. May not be the worst case scenario. We would be foolish because ultimately people are going to respond to their theology and people are going to respond in like manner. And so the reality here is that people pursue Christ for wealth, just as Judas did. And so ultimately here, he wants that sold, not because he wants to really genuinely give it to the poor, but ultimately because he wants to benefit from it. And this is still true for us today. And so ultimately we know from this instance, Jesus corrects him. Uh, and I'll say this, he wasn't alone. He probably was the only one who spoke up. But as you begin to look at Matthew's account and Mark's account, it says the disciples all were, uh, were obstinate toward this, this display. The other disciples, <clears throat> whether it was first stated by Judas, clearly it is stated here by Judas, but ultimately it says they all scolded her. They all rebuked her. And that's why Jesus then speaks out openly about it and says, no, leave her alone. She's, she keep this for the day of my burial. And so ultimately we know that in this rebuttal and that Judas then sh- shortly thereafter will then make his way to the chief priests and then begins to establish a means to try to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. They agree upon an amount. And what do we know that amount to be? 30 pieces of silver. Uh, and so you begin to think about that. What is that? So what, what may potentially may be Judas thinking, right? Well, Jesus, once again, I told you, had already been communicating the day of his death. Clearly here, he's, he says it openly. May she keep it for the day of my burial. And so he's communicating that he's going to die. Clearly, he, they know the crowd's out to kill him. And so Judas is going to be the very one to betray him. The word had already been communicated in the previous chapter, verse 57 of uh, chapter 11. Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them, he, he should let them know. 
so they might, they might arrest him. And so by the very worship that was taking place at this household, they were in betrayal to the religious leaders at that particular time. And so Judas is like, look, I'm going to be the one who turns him in. I'm going to get my bounty from it. And so ultimately, uh, 30 pieces of silver was roughly about five or six weeks worth of money. And so I want to share this with you to help you begin to see what he's willing to sell Jesus out for. And once again, our modern time, you think about 40-day, uh, 40-hour work week, five or six weeks for minimum wage was about $1,700. $1,700 sells Jesus out. King of kings and Lord of lords. Right? Minimum amount of money. Minimum amount of money. And it was actually, uh, the Old Testament says that 30 pieces of silver out of Exodus 21, 32, is if there was an accidental death of a slave, this is what you would pay the slave owner for the life of that particular slave. That indentured servant. And so as you begin to look at this process, this is what Jesus was worth to the Pharisees and to Judas. And so the reality in this is that you begin to see that their actions are going to demonstrate where how they view Jesus. If you look at the want the life of Mary and Martha, their actions corresponded to the worth of Jesus, right? And it was a selfless act because they understand the very worth of Jesus and their actions corresponded to understanding his worth. And then in the life of, of Judas, you see their actions contradicting the very worth of Jesus. Oh, Jesus is still worthy of all honor and glory and praise. But ultimately, his actions would demonstrate a contradictory statement. He did not see Jesus of very much worth. When we begin to look at our, our time, right, do we sell Jesus out for money? Is there times that you know you, you probably should speak up for Jesus? You should speak up for Jesus, and you don't because why? Your job may be tied to it. That upcoming promotion, may be, you may get overlooked. You might lose your job for speaking for Jesus. It's something we need to begin to ask ourselves, right? I think many times we want to guard this discussion and be able to go, well, hey, so I'm always at every time, and we use these absolutes, always, every time I'm supposed to say something about Jesus. I don't think there would be anything wrong with that. I think it would be sin that you always want to talk about Jesus. But no, no one's saying that. But the reality is that do you ever at any time speak about Jesus? You ever at any time bring up the things of Christ, the claims of Christ, the gospel of Christ? And if not, we want to guard, we want to examine to see maybe our motivating factors is, yes, we say we follow Jesus, but really we're out for wealth more so than worship. Third motivator for following Jesus is sheer wonder, wonder, wonder of it. Now, should there be wonder as it relates to Jesus and of his majesty and his worth? Sure. Uh, but this is not what would lead, that wonder would lead us to actual worship. This is just, it stops at uh, a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration uh, caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable, right? So this is a sheer definition of wonder, uh, to desire, or be curious, to know something, to feel admiration or amazement, to marvel at something. And so you, you see here that people can come to Jesus simply because it's Something they've never seen before. And this is what you see in verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only account of him, but also to see Lazarus, this other spectacle that was there. Right? This man who has been raised from the dead, as it says in verse 9. And so you can begin to see it. You can see the, the wonder of it all. And people can come to Jesus that maybe, maybe he can turn my life around. Maybe I can turn over a new leaf. Maybe I can just start over and that... Um, I can have uh, a new start, a fresh 
uh, a fresh uh, beginning, new beginnings and a fresh start. If I uh, join this particular church and, and begin learning things of God, and I can get a fresh start. And, and listen, for those of us who are dead in our trespasses of sin, we, we welcome the new start. We welcome a new heart. We're a new creation. The old things are passing away. Behold, new things are coming. But it's fundamentally fixed upon the reality of who Jesus is and our need for him and our worship of him and his dying for us on the cross, his resurrection, his pain, atoning sacrifice for us. And it leads us to love him. It leads us to worship him. And not simply just, well, I kind of just want to forget about the things in the past. And I don't have really real desire to want to know Christ or obey Christ or to love Christ. But if my life can be different, then, man, I, w- I want to come check that out. And I-, I wonder if that might not happen for me. And this is what you see here with the large crowds, that ultimately they desire for that to be the case. The next day, that large crowd in verse 12, the large crowd, uh, heard that, uh, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, right? And so what do they say? They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blesses he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. They didn't quite understand what Jesus was coming there, right, for. He's going to be our king. The same reason in, in John chapter 6, that we want him to be king. Why do they want him to be king? He's going to give us all free bread. Man, it's a welfare system already tucked into place. Man, this is great. Show up with just a few things. I mean, he'll bless that and make it amazing. And he can do phenomenal things when we won't be sick. Look at all the wonderful things, the wonder that is related to who Jesus is. And yet when Jesus began to preach truth about who he is in John 6, those hard sayings, the people didn't stick around. They didn't want that from Jesus. They wanted other things. They wanted the health, wealth, prosperity gospel, as we, we talked before. And so you see this large crowd as well, seeing that this king is coming in the name of the Lord. And so they desire that. And so you begin to see, even verse 18 gives us some clues on that. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was they heard that he had done this sign. And so once again, there's this desire to come to Jesus because the signs that he performs. But as you continue to read through John 12, and we're not going to be there today, you'll see at the very end, these are, are not individuals who are, are going to remain with Jesus long term. In verse 47, he says, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. And so he's beginning to bring a distinction between those who say they want to follow him, those who say they believe in him, and actually those who actually are following him or genuine uh, followers of Christ, genuine believers, genuine disciples, rather than those who are just wonder, are caught up in amazement, wonder of all that is related to and attracted to Jesus. I think, once again, that's not so far from reality for why people show up to churches, especially churches that are have large and that are large and have a variety of different things. You can kind of show up and see these amazing edifices and and look and just be like, man, they've got to be doing it right. There's plenty of money and there's plenty of, 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 of uh, activities and plenty of services and plenty of, uh, of things that we can be a part of. And, and how can a church this big be wrong? This immaculate be wrong? I don't know if you've ever been to a variety of Catholic churches and to see just the immaculate architecture and the expense that goes in these buildings. And, and you, can, you can have wonder behind it. You can have amazement behind it, just like you would the, Taj, the building of the Taj Mahal or any other of the wonders of the world, and just sheer amazement at what it is. And so you attach some kind of moral value to that simply because of the edifice, simply because of the structure, simply because of, of the, 
uh, of the, the, the organization in and of itself. And it can be, can be, it doesn't have to be, but can be completely devoid of any real desire to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just, how can this many people be wrong? And that's, we all would understand that was foolish, but people were entrapped or ensnared by that, right? And especially if you tie it to service and sacrifice that's not, has the priority of the word behind it, then you've got those good deeds that look great attached to that too. And like I said, I'm not the judge behind those. I'm not the judge behind that. I, I, I think you can judge motives when those motives have been communicated. If, if you were to ask me or the Bible, all right, the motive had been given, right? Had been communicated, not just that we were judging motives. Uh, those motives that once stated, you can just declare whether or not those, those were right motives to follow Jesus. Hey, I'm only following Jesus to, because I want to get wealthy. Is that a good motive to follow Jesus? I think you have a responsibility to say, no, that's not a good motive to follow Jesus. I just want to follow Jesus because I think he's awesome. He's kind of like a Marvel character, right? I mean, he's kind of like Thor or somebody crazy. And he's like Captain America. He's just really kind and good to everybody. I'm going to follow Jesus because I want, I want that kind of example for my life. Is that the right reason to follow Jesus? No, you need a Savior. You need somebody who's going to take your place. Otherwise, you're going to spend eternity separated from God forever in a place called hell. And so I, when, we're, when we're having conversations with people, we need to be trying to find out why they want the things that they want. Because as James 4 would tell us, that it can cause factions and divisions and quarrels among us because our hearts are adulterers. In our hearts, we're adulterers and adulteresses that we don't want the things of God. We want the things, if we don't want God, we want the things from God. And so we want to be able to look at this and navigate. And this passage helps us to see it. At the very heart of where Jesus is going to be in just a few days, the very sacrifice for sin and sinners, you see an elaborate display of worship. You see uh, a desire at the same time, the antithesis of that. And it's just carnal, self-centered, selfish desires that from, from Jesus. And then you see just this general superficial faith. It's just wonder about who he is. And then you're going to see a fourth category, and that's wickedness. Wickedness. And you think, well, man, I don't see how wicked people would want to follow Jesus. Well, then you've not paid attention to what the Bible and even John has been communicating about the life of Jesus as a whole, of the other gospel writers as it relates to the, 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 the Jesus as a whole. You didn't pay attention to the verse I just read moments ago in verse 57 of John 11. Now the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so they might arrest him. And I say follow Jesus, I didn't say mean that they're sheer disciples of him. They're just following out. They're dogging his steps. They want to know where he's at because they want to find him. They want to follow him so they can arrest him. The same way the police would follow someone that has a, a warrant for their arrest or have a warrant for that person's arrest will follow that person to a place where they can retrieve him. Same way the Pharisees would follow Jesus and would dog him with question after question after question, testing him to see if they could ensnare him by something that he says. And this is where we find ourselves in verse 10 and 11. See, the people that were coming, the large crowds that were coming to Jesus, and they weren't coming just simply for Jesus, but on account of Lazarus as well, whom he had raised from the dead. And so then in verse 10, so the chief priests, these who were wicked, made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. It's not just sufficient that Jesus needs to die. He needs to be arrested. He needs to be out of the way. But man, one of the, the, the very displays of the very grace of God and the power and majesty of God was the very life of Lazarus, whom all knows that was dead for four days and had been raised, raised from the dead. And so he said, listen, we've got to kill that guy too. 
We've got to kill him too. The masses are going their direction. And it says, because on account of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and believing, at least on some superficial level, believing in Jesus. You know, there's people who have wicked intents that follow all kinds of things. So clearly we see it in the life of Jesus. The Pharisees would follow him and they would dog him at every step of the way, right? Undermining him, uh, leading the crowd to do so. And they'll, they'll eventually succeed in that when they eventually raise the, the, the fervency and the, the fever pitch of the crowd who six days prior or five days prior was, was crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel, right? They're, they're chanting this. They're, they're, they're declaring this. And then just a few days later, we'll be crying out, crucify him, crucify him. May his blood be on us and our children. And so the Pharisees will succeed. Turning the hearts of the people, the superficial people who didn't quite understand who Jesus was, who a sheer wonder, their wickedness will begin to turn it. Can I tell you, there's individuals who follow the things of God, who follow faithful preachers of God simply because they want to undermine the teaching of Christ. Preachers who are faithful to the scripture understand it's not a direct personal attack on us. We understand what is out there, but people will listen to sermons. Study the Bible simply with desire to undermine it. Simply to explain away the miracles. A variety of criticisms that can be brought to, dem- to demonstrate the discre- supposed discrepancies in the Bible. You think, well, they don't believe. What, is, what do they matter? Because they, it's not enough that they don't believe. They want others not to believe. They want to suppress the truth. They want to bring others into the false understanding that they have. And so people will dog the word of God. People will challenge the teaching of God and they will challenge our teaching. They will challenge other men who desire to faithfully teach the word of truth to others. And so there's a motivation there that needs to be exposed. But there's a wickedness that relates to that. That ultimately I want to put not just Jesus to death, but any who would ascribe glory and praise and honor to Jesus. So it's not just enough Jesus needs to die. Now Lazarus needs to die as well. And did that change? No. They do kill Jesus. You think that would be sufficient, right? Was it sufficient? No. Shortly after Pentecost, then dwell into the Holy Spirit, falls upon the people, and 3,000 people end up getting saved. What do you see happening there in the days that follow? These same wicked religious leaders desire now to squelch out that follower, those followers as well. We killed Jesus, now we want to kill them as well. And you'll see the, the 12 and the other disciples that will follow Jesus be martyred and put to death. Because why? It's not enough that they want to destroy Jesus. They want to destroy anyone who would follow Jesus as well. And it's something that we need to be prepared about, knowing the motivations of people. There will be individuals who can ask you questions and their desire isn't for you, and their desire isn't to love Jesus. Their desire is to undermine and squelch all aspects. And so you don't owe them an answer. You need to be mindful and be wise. That's why the Bible, when Jesus sends out the twelve, says you be uh, innocent as doves and wise as serpents. There's a reason why with Pontius Pilate, Jesus opens his mouth, and with King Herod, he does not. 
For us, we need to understand the motivations that follow. Now, once again, let me be clear. I'm summarizing these, and we'll pray, and we'll be done for this, this morning. Your intent is not to judge the motives without any information. Once again, these motivating factors are in us. They're in me. They're in you. And there can be a spectrum of any of these in my own life. There can be a time where I may want to reject the truths of God in a certain way. Yeah, I can just have sheer wonder and don't spend time genuinely trying to study the Bible. I want to be lazy. There can be times where I desire wealth and health and prosperity. And there can be times where it's just sheer, sheer worship, a desire to honor the Lord. And so intent isn't to judge from a distance those motives. I think for us Christians, as we're having conversations with one another, we're having conversations with other Christians, we're having conversations with other people who say they're self-professing Christians and you're interacting with them and things may come up, then you should, you should ask more questions. What motivates you to, to serve? And they'll tell you what it is. Well, how does this line up with this? You know, the same conversation that we had with the lady who was avoiding the worship service. Hey, it seems like you're here faithfully, but you're not coming into the gatherings. Can I ask why you're not coming into the gatherings? I just love to serve the children. That's great that... You understand the Bible also encourage you you need to be in the worship service as well. There's a reality for that. It's the corporate gatherings in here, not back there. And so we, we think you need to be a part of this. And what motivates you to be there and not here? You don't have to judge the motive without knowing. But then once you know the motive, then it's every, you have every right to be able to say whether that's a proper motive, proper motivation or not, based on what the Scriptures already already discussed. And so as we examine our own motives, you help to examine motives by asking questions, not believing the worst in people, asking open-ended questions, allowing them to tell you what those are. I think there is a reality for us to be able to look at what our motivating factors are. And as we've seen in this passage, four different times, one of worship, through service and sacrifice, one desire for wealth, wonder, and wickedness. The reality for us is, is that there are motivating factors for us. What motivated you to be here this morning? Honestly, if you were to take just a moment. Were you just on the docket to serve? I'm going to, I guess I'll come in because I'm supposed to be here and they're expecting me to be here. Or was it genuine, I want to love the Lord. I want to serve the God and his kingdom purposes. I want the Lord to be glorified. I want to help the body. I want to sacrifice my time and my talents and my treasures for the extending and expansion of God's kingdom. Genuine worship. And I want to worship both in service and in sacrifice, even in song, which is most time predominantly what people think worship is. And so, yeah, I may not have a great voice, but man, I'm going to sing loud. Why? Because I'm. He was cheerful, the Bible says in James. He was cheerful among you. Sing. Come on, like that, right? You're cheerful. You have a, listen, the prerequisite to sing is that you have a song. And if the Lord Jesus Christ is our song, we have every right to sing with joy, even if it's not good. As far as like compared to the best singer, there's a desire to want to honor the Lord. Is there a desire here that in some way that it's karma? We bought into karma and really we think, well, God won't bless me in my endeavors outside of here if I don't show up to service on Sunday. What goes around comes around. So if I'm not good, God's not going to be good to me. I tell you, there's still ways that that works its way out in me. I have to go, no, that's not right. 
But just like Judas, there can be a desire for wealth. Not in the most crass sense, but in other ways. Or wonder. I just want to kind of see what's happening today. Let me learn something. Maybe, maybe God in some kind of weird way, mystical way, he'll speak to me this day and give me an understanding of what I should be able to do about some major decision in my life. And so you're really just about the wonder of it that maybe God can just some some crazy way speak through the pastors that will be speaking to God's word. Almost like we do with the Bible sometimes when we're looking for an answer and we're like, all right, God. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written. I don't know what you want me to do with that about my job, but... Um, I mean, it's not a major horse, so maybe I go for the lesser job because it's a young donkey and not like a, like a stud. So, you know, I, we do weird things with interpreting Scripture because of wonder. And I'll just take it for its plain meaning. And then lastly, with wickedness, we can come with our judgmental eyes on. Pointing out, I would have done this different and I wouldn't have said this and I would have said this differently. Rather than desiring to see what the Word of God may say and be praying for the pastors and praying for the leaders and praying for our worship leaders and praying for our leaders that work in the context of this church and our teachers and those who serve that were bless me if you can. And I'm going to point out what you guys are not doing well. That can be true of any of us and potentially all of us all at sometimes in our lives, not all the time, but at sometimes in our lives. And so the key for us to be able to look at this and go, God, help us to examine our motives. Father, help me as I prayed this morning to examine my motives. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.